It's the 10 to 1 podcast with your host, Brad Oman, featuring Ben Conowitz and Nate Laux. And here's the podcast. Hello, friends. Woo! And a few enemies, I'm sure. No, just friends here. Friends and people who we don't like. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome to the 10 to 1, everybody. Yeah, the 10 to 1 podcast. This is our Saturday Night Live podcast. Typically, we like to recap and review new episodes of Saturday Night Live, but... A, it's still the summer and Saturday Night Live is off the air, so there's no season happening right now. And B, even if it wasn't the summer, there's a writer's and actor strike happening right now. So Saturday Night Live isn't coming back for a little while. It's looking like probably won't even be back when it normally would be in September unless something drastic happens. Probably going to be the holidays. He keeps saying this. I think the strike is going to be over by the end of September. So maybe. Why, why do you think that? It just feels like the you studios. Got some insider info. The studios. I think they're just starting to get desperate. They just hired a crisis PR firm to start doing stuff because they're so terrible at doing it themselves. Um, and it's just they're getting to the point where now they're going to have to start delaying stuff and they're going to start losing more and more money. And we're reached it once September rolls around, they will be uh, be able to end certain uh deals that they have in place with people for new tv seasons and stuff like that so they can jettison stuff that they don't necessarily care about as much and not necessarily uh worry about breaking contracts because the strike is happening and they can get rid of stuff and so, so you th- I, think the studios want to wait i think the then, studios so that- yes the studios have been waiting out to do some of this because it, it will help them get rid of things that they don't want to have to necessarily fully pay for and then by the end of september i think that they'll be willing to strike a new deal and we might be back to you know some semblance of normal in october how quickly do you think Saturday Night Live could then, like you know, give everything back? One I mean, week. Yeah, I mean, conceivably, you would. That's think, right, you, it, it, it right? would have, since, they do the, since they do the show in a week, they should be able to do it pretty quickly after the strike is, uh, you know, re- resolved. So I would hope. Hey, if, has Green Day ever been a musical guest? I'm sure they have. So would you say it's Wake Me Up when September ends? You know, I just. Uh, Listeners, I want to let you know something. On our other podcast, Go Fix Yourself, Ben made you made the same stupid fucking joke twice about the Green Day song, Wake Me Up Once Denver Ends, and here we are doing it again. Go Fix Yourself pod, you can find that joke many times. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. They didn't know. Nobody we, knew. No, we know though, and it makes it. It's just it pisses me They're off. I'm not gonna know. This is this is lazy. Nobody's gonna know. This is this is this is. This is Rob Schneider type shit. Whoa. Yeah. Let's not say things you can't take. Uh, ben, making jokes. <laughs> Wake me up with September. Hey, so. The it's, Green Day. Instead of. Wow. Instead of recapping and reviewing SNL episodes, Brad, what are we doing? We are going through the. No one knows. Saturday Night Live <laughs> filmography. Uh, everyone who loves Saturday Night Live knows that they turned some sketches into movies for better and for worse. Thankfully, so far, it's been the better. Yes. We've watched the Blues Brothers, and we've watched Wayne's World, and now we are making our way into the third film from Saturday Night Live, produced by Lauren Michaels, and that is Coneheads, based on the famous sketch Coneheads, <laughs> featuring the characters Coneheads. Conehead. <laughs> um, this was, uh, These characters were created by Dan Aykroyd and t- uh, uh, Tom Davis Correct. Uh, during Saturday Night Live. I believe that the first time they premiered was in 1977, right, Nate? Yeah, they appeared in January, February, March, April, and May 1977. Mm-hmm. Then again in October 1977, and then 
Let's see. It looks like five episodes in 1978 and one episode in 1979. Yeah, they did a total of 11 or 12 sketches. I think that was it was a big hit for them. Yep. Yeah, it became, became. It was actually the I believe the first like huge beloved like recurring characters that were were on the show. What's interesting about Coneheads, and we can talk about this later as well. Coneheads, I think anyway, maybe maybe the Blues Brothers because they toured and everything, but Coneheads, but they were never in sketches. You know? Yeah. Coneheads was a. It turned into a brand for yeah. SNL. They had comic books. They they ended up ten years before this film uh, was made. So in 1983, they did an animated there pilot was for a TV animated show. Pilot, and so um, this this kind of became bigger than just Saturday Night Live. There was clearly um, want for more of this brand in other uh, other reaches outside of Saturday Night. Really interesting. Yeah, so uh, the premise for Coneheads as it began on Saturday Night Live was following uh, this family of aliens who have heads that are shaped like cones. They're from the planet Remulac, and they find themselves stranded on Earth, and so they have to become acquainted with suburban life. Uh, and this was at a time when kind of suburban life was on the rise and was kind of a, a new thing, you know, introducing people to yuppie culture and just this kind of like new way that people were living lives in their neighborhoods and being very obsessed with like their their own lawn. Li- yeah, their own lawn, their, like their own livelihood within their cul-de-sac and things like that. And so putting, you know, uh, the, this family of aliens in there and them trying to acquaint themselves with the world was a funny premise you know they uh famously talk very rapidly in a, in a monotone kind of way they use complicated phrasing to talk about simple human things um and it, you know it's an amusing premise a lot like you know plenty of snl sketches though it kind of ran its course after a while even though it was something that was popular for a time uh it was it was roughly the same kind of joke although i do think that there were a couple uh, great variations of this original uh, sketch premise because I, I, I there's only a couple of these that are officially available on the Saturday Night Live YouTube channel, uh, and the one that's actually pretty decent uh, is they have the Coneheads appear on Family Feud uh, when Steve Martin was was the host of the show and uh, Gilda Radner and John Belushi played one of the other families, and then you have Dan Aykroyd. Uh, playing Beldar Conehead, you have Jane Curtin as Primat Conehead, and then you had Lorraine Newman as their daughter Connie, and so they're on Family Feud. You got Bill Murray as Richard Dawson, uh, and it was a pretty amusing uh, variation on it. You know, it it, it worked. Um, surprisingly, it was an eight minute sketch, which is crazy to think of. Um, but like it it did r- sustain itself fairly well. I feel like they spent a little too much time with the normal family, and there was kind of like dead air. But the stuff with the Conehead stuff worked pretty well. I feel like. The- these sketches are quintessential late 70s. So Dan Aykroyd talks about he came up with this premise. Now, there's a little bit, of, not of a feud, but I think Dan Aykroyd came up with some of this and Tom yeah. Davis clarified a lot of it. Yeah, for sure. Dan, Dan Aykroyd, Aykroyd famously says he came up with the idea because he was stoned. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> this These sketches, when I watch them, what if their heads are a lot funnier like if you were high. Man. No, honestly, yeah. his, his, he, his premise like was based on the idea. It's like, it's weird that there's so much space above people's heads on TV. Like, what if their heads were tall enough to reach the top of the screen? <laughs> and like, and that's where it was. And yeah, and then part of it, like, that helped flesh out the idea because uh, it was initially the idea was that the characters just had a head deformity. But Lorne Michaels didn't want to make a sketch that made fun of people that had a physical condition. Punch down. So yeah, so they scrapped it. Uh, but then Dan Aykroyd was apparently influenced by uh, the, uh, the classic movie, uh, B sci-fi movie, This Island Earth, which uh, oh, fa- yeah. famously was lampooned on Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. The movie. And they have uh, alien characters on that, there. Nate, by the way? No. 
neither this island or mystery science theater 3000 both yeah we're gonna have to sign that movie to you for yeah. on go fix yourself uh but anyway on this island earth there are aliens who have very large prolonged foreheads they're not cone heads but yeah. they just look very weird and so the dan Aykroyd seeing that thought it was a good idea to turn them into aliens uh and it didn't they didn't quite make it uh, in the second iteration but uh tom davis helped refine it and eventually turned into the, a sketch that debuted on SNL and it was very popular when it came out and you know turned into a phenomenon. It just feels like when I watch the sketches on SNL, these would be a lot funnier if I was in the seventies and high. Oh, for sure. I they, mean, there's a lot of Saturday Night Live stuff, especially in the yeah. early in the seventies when they were still refining what the show was, figuring out, doing a lot of experimental comedy. You know, I, I think that's very true, and that's largely why uh, there was, funnily enough, there was just recently an interview yeah. with Jane Curtin where she talks about sitting down with her family to watch some of the old episodes of SNL, and she says she's like, it wasn't funny. She's like, I was so excited <laughs> and watching. She's like, I was like, wow, this is terrible. Terrible. Like, and, not, not just like there were not many laughs yeah just like, like nothing was funny. yeah and granted at the time you know I, I, some of that stuff doesn't age well S- some of it is content some of it is timeliness some of it is just it's a different era for comedy you know not not all the old snl episodes are laugh out loud hilarious it doesn't all work my kids are a little still too young to get some of the political humor but i wonder if in a couple more years if my kids would look back and watch will ferrell and dana carvey do the bushes yeah right uh, if it's funny to them if it's funny to them because i yeah. still watch that sketch and i think it's still hilarious yeah um, but we were around during that time yeah, that's what i'm saying know. so i wonder if it's similar that they're going to look back and say this stuff wasn't that funny dad yeah like is is will ferrell's george w bush funny if you don't really know anything about, about george, george w. w bush yeah. right it, no, um, i don't know much about you're saying that there's a guy named bush <laughs> i yeah. thought i thought that was a made-up character he runs the baked beans company Oh, I love his pork and beans. What is interesting about this, though, is these aren't characters. So the the first two movies we talked about, Wayne's World and Blues Brothers, were characters that existed in the heads of the creators before they got to SNL. Mm -hmm. From what I understand, Brad, Coneheads was created on SNL. Yeah, this was a, a purely SNL creation. That's where the, where it was uh, de- um, created and where they debuted, and that's exactly where it, where it all comes from. So this is kind of the first film that we're watching that is all SNL, yeah. all Saturday Night Live, all influenced by Saturday Night Live. To speak to the, um, the way that the Coneheads speak and they... Uh, uh, overcomplicate words. Mab. <laughs> Consume mass quantities. Instead of eat, right? Uh, there's a show now called Strange Planet mm-hmm. that is on Apple TV yep. Plus, and it's a, kind of the same premise, except uh, imagine just a planet of coneheads and you're watching them and it's kind of like Earth. Yeah. They do the same thing where they talk about being beings instead of humans, and yeah. they have uh, phrase things in overly complex ways that make it that make it make human life sound strange, right? Uh, jitter juice instead of coffee, yeah, things like that. Coneheads did this first, obviously, in 1993, and now it's uh, uh, 30 years later, yeah, and, and it's and, and that show's very funny. If you haven't heard of Strange Planet, you've Man. likely seen the comic strips because they got very popular on Instagram and, and Twitter and, and whatnot, so they're out there. It's in the, the first episode, especially, is very funny. It's we're through the fifth episode now, it's 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 it holds up okay. I watched the first episode with you, and it was it was solid, it it's was very, it was enjoyable. very good. But but the Coneheads did all this first, right? Yeah. And and honestly, watching this movie, 
it was hilarious. I was laughing out loud a lot of times. Yeah. With with this kind of stuff. It's been since the movie came out since I've seen it. Yeah. And so I couldn't remember one thing except for I think I remember him saying like, uh, Ronnie, may I have fifty five words with you? <laughs> for some <laughs> yeah. reason, that- those are fifty five. <laughs> you, you can't really talk about Coneheads because Jane Curtin's in here without talking a little bit about Third Rock from the Sun because it's a, a show that was in the late nineties as well, yeah. and it has a pretty similar premise. Now the aliens did a better job kind of being assimilated fitting assimilated in. so they the, did not have cone heads yeah, yeah. <laughs> but fish out of water not really understanding yeah. human yep. uh, emotions and actions and why people are the way they are yeah. and then turning the lens on oh yeah it is weird that we do that as a society yeah you know that show was really good at calling out social norms that, mm-hmm. that we all just take for granted every day and kind of it's it's like almost like taking the laugh track away from a popular sitcom you're like wow that is weird that if you would say that right but it's funny when there other people are laughing you know I, I read that the reason Coneheads was made was Wayne's World did so well, as we talked about in our last episode, commercially did very, very well. And the studio came back to Lauren Michaels and said, What's next? What else you got? It, it was essentially yeah. that. Figure out another sketch and turn it. And obviously, they, as we talked about before, they already had a brand with Coneheads. They'd other try, they had tried some other stuff. They had some uh, merchandising as well, mm-hmm. um, some stuff there. Well, dust, dust off the old sweatshirts. We're going at it again. And that's honestly one of the things that is so crazy is that Coneheads come, comes along as a movie so long after it's the so sketches were after. over. You know, because I mean, the, the animated pilot, uh, which you can actually watch on YouTube in three parts, um, Rankin and Bass did it. And Rankin and Bass is the company that was behind the famous stop motion holiday specials. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. They also did... The, For us, they, they define a lot of the yeah. like, uh, holiday uh, special animated stuff. And they also did uh, the animated Hobbit movie and The yeah. Last Unicorn. And so they, they were this very famous animation company. If you go watch this pilot, uh, you'll understand why it didn't move forward because it's, it is the uh what are you talking did about? you watch it no um so it it has very much the same premise as say, as the movie tom davis says this essentially was the plot of the movie yeah and, and honestly like if you watch this pilot it kind of it serves as the backbone for what the movie became uh it follows beldar and primat as they are sent from remulac to go set up a new like uh you know ba- base on earth essentially and when they get there they end up stranded and they have to get acquainted with human life connie even meets a boy named ronnie all this stuff you know so the the stuff that isn't there is the stuff with immigration and naturalization services that plot line isn't there but it's very much sets up the idea of that the entire series is going to follow the coneheads as they are stuck on earth and really this the pilot kind of acts as a gap filler to show you what happened before the coneheads ended up on earth in the sketches which is where we saw them you know um but it is funny to see how much of the history and mythology of like coneheads as an alien species and everything is set up in this animated series and things and they actually did a pretty good job of carrying over a lot of like the names of the leaders and like just certain traits that they had and and, and whatnot. Um, but the the pilot itself is it's not very funny. Uh, the animation it feel it feels like a a, a cheap Saturday morning cartoon. And yeah. I just yeah I'm I'm glad it didn't work out. So let's let's turn to the cast because this cast is Saturday Night Live. I mean there are 14 members, uh, past and current at the time the film was made mm-hmm. in 1983 that were on Saturday Night Live, just all over. But what's interesting, uh, non-Saturday Night Live people, three major actors make their debut in this film. Three major people that you've heard of, I know, have made their made their film debut. Who do you, who was it? Sinbad. No. Oh. <laughs> 
non-Saturday Night Live? Non-Saturday Night They're Live. all non-Saturday Night Live, yep. Tom Arnold. No. I will give you hints. Two of them had- We're on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them had very famous 90s sitcoms after this. Very famous. Two of them had very famous 90s sitcoms after this. Who else is it? Uh, oh, Ellen DeGeneres. Correct. Yeah. Um, and- Bobcat Goldthwait. He was not in this film. No. no, who's the who's the other one? Drew Carey. Oh, right. Yeah, so he gets in the taxi. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And the other one did not have, but she did uh, fill a lot of my dreams. Uh, Joey Lauren Adams this is her film debut oh. as well. Oh, that's right. She's one of the Connie's friends, friends yep. isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I thought that was kind of fun who? as well. First film for my favorite comedy duo of all time to be in a film together. Dan Ecker and Jane Curtin. Chris Farley and David Spade. <laughs> mm. um, but uh, so Dan Aykroyd and Gene Curtin obviously reprise their roles from the original sketch. Uh, Lorraine Newman does not play Connie because she's, old. <laughs> she was older by this time. Uh, she does make a cameo appearance as another conehead on Remulac later in the movie. Uh, but the daughter in this case is played by... Michelle Burke, who was in Dazed and Confused just the year, or actually the same year. Yeah. I think it was 93. And uh, they do a really good job, actually, of taking the premise of the sketch and turning it into this family comedy, um, as, especially with her as Connie. Uh, it they actually changed the vibe of what Connie was as a character because if you go back and watch those sketches, Connie is very much a character who is cut from the same cloth as Beldar and Primat. She speaks in the same way. She's very weird. She's not at all like a normal American teenage girl. But in the movie, they make it so that she has acclimated to American Earth life and she's very much a normal teen who just happens to you know have a cone head because have a perfectly sexy cone. <laughs> Easy Farley. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so. It's it's they, they 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 took the premise of this and they actually made it better I think than what any of the sketches ever were. Oh, this, for sure. This is one of the rare instances where I think the the movie actually makes the sketch infinitely better. It didn't get great reviews, but I, I do wonder if 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 some of that depth was was missing up for some people, right? Yeah. That there is actually some depth to this film. Yeah, it is an immigrant story. I know uh, my my soon to be ex, but. Uh, She's European, and they've got big kind of first-generation communities in Chicago and other major cities. And it is a huge, huge issue for many first-generation, um, uh, you know, immigrants where their kids grow up American. Yeah, they're, right. they're, the culture that they left, that they still feel very connected to, their kids don't share. Yep. And so this film actually tells that story pretty it well, does. honestly. Yeah. Um, it and it's it's weird because like, uh, not, not only was it not well received by critics at the time, but it was a box office bomb. It, it did not it, do it well. It debuted at number six on the box office. Ended up making $21 million yeah, uh, with which $30 is, million dollar budget, which isn't terrible. Not it terrible, but... Probably made it back on the on the home video. It, it probably broke even, maybe. Yeah, but it's uh, for a movie to open at number six, yeah. you know, like that... It's it's just it's rough. Um, so one of the things that that uh, because this is this is an immigrant story. One of the things that I, I liked about this is it's the kind of uh, thing where it's it's what you really hope America could be like mm -hmm. because the the character of Sinbad, right? He finds out that he's an illegal immigrant and he goes, "Oh man, you're an alien." But instead of like just saying "shut up" and here's more money, 
like there's this whole scene with Adam Sandler and he's trying to help him. Yep. Like, let's get you paperwork. Like, even yeah. it, might, it might not be legal, but I'm going to help. You wish that for re- real. Yep. And not, not only that, but like no one really cares that Jason Alexander is like, yeah, you that, know? They're, that they're, they're strange because of like, they don't even acknowledge the fact that they might be aliens from another yep. world. They're yep. just like, yeah, they're just, they're just a little weird yeah. and like, they're whatever. Whatever. Like but they're, yep. but they're yeah. good people. Yeah, exactly. You and know? like, I, I feel like maybe that was something that was hard for a lot of people to get a grasp on at the time. Yeah. And I think that nowadays even more, uh, this movie I think resonates just so perfectly with just immigrant life and that kind of thing. And maybe it maybe it just hits differently now than it did at the time. So because and and we have <laughs> so many problems uh, with with everything in this country. What do you mean? For <laughs> it's perfect, Brad. <laughs> but I do feel like. Watching this movie now, I go, oh man, th- th- this is great that the- they're being treated like people rather than like like being being different, right? Like, yeah. Like, again, it's everybody that is their neighbor or their they're at the football game and and Beldar does the stupid uh, firework and yeah. it blows people away. Nobody gets mad at him. It's not it, it, nobody questions it. It's just it's a cool thing that it's a cool scene. Yeah. And that that really resonates today, whereas back in '93. I think people were probably put off because, well, they would they wouldn't fit in. Yeah, you know. But these days, there is maybe more of a place for that. I don't know. What do you? Am I making any sense? No, no. I I think that that's that, that's definitely a big part of it. And I, I think nowadays too, just with the, you're start people have at least some people have started to see immigrants as less as like an invading you know enemy and just like people trying to find a better life. Uh, that's a great. Sorry, that's that's the point I was trying to make, and you yeah. made it there. There are swaths in this country of people that are like the Conehead's neighbors. Yeah, and like like Sinbad, of course, people that just want to help. Yeah. Whereas back back even 20, 30 years ago. I think those are harder to find. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that there's, uh, you know, there's a reason that you know uh, INS are essentially the villains, you know, in yeah. this movie. And like, there's definitely a satirical edge here that maybe some people didn't like at the time because of you know wh- sure. what they represented. Maybe it's like people, a lot of people but, probably were more like, oh yeah, we don't want illegal aliens. We were wa- Bailey and I were watching this movie and we we're, were like, oh my god, this is exactly like how INS is right now like he's there t- like the shot collar thing yeah it's not even a joke is that, that was literally like we watched that we're like oh my god that's that's probably was proposed mm-hmm. in texas with floating mm-hmm. buoys and then they probably wanted to put shot collars on uh, it was proposed in florida yeah, sorry for texas yeah but yeah you know what i'm saying like it, that's the kind of stuff that's really happening so let's talk a little bit about this cast so i mentioned chris farley and david spade earlier this is Chris Farley's first kind of major film. He had a he was the security guard in Wayne's World, but very very big sure. part. What did you think of Chris Farley in this? Well, he's great. He's great. Yeah, I mean he's he's a big charming goofball. In this I movie. I loved him in this, and I missed him so much watching it, and so much of his he's tr- like he knows he knows he screwed up with her. He he, he wants to forever to make it up to her and to like respect. The, the, her father oh Mr. Conan I'm so sorry he just wants it so much to be to be a good person he, and he has that teddy bear quality yeah. to him when we talked about John Belushi and everything not that John Belushi wasn't likable but there is a teddy bear quality to Chris Farley that is unlike anybody I've, I've seen no, it, where they're just organically so that way. Yeah. lovable yeah <laughs> you know? for, for better or worse John Belushi uh, had had something about him that had this like 
dark, mysterious uh, yeah, edge. A, a bit of an edge. Yeah. yeah. And Chris Farley, you know, um, and the, the, not, not to sound negative or something like that, it didn't it didn't seem like there was that uh, a, a darkness lingering or like anything that was deadly serious. Not that you shouldn't take him seriously, but he just never felt like somebody who was trying to be serious necessarily. So, and maybe it, I apologize if this sounds like I'm putting him down. I don't think he ever thought too much about it. Yeah. I, I mean, I obviously he was he had his issues and he was he dealt with depression and anxiety yeah. and, and all that stuff. And, and he always wanted to be like. But he wanted he, that all came from his validation coming from yeah. from be, getting the biggest laugh or, or people loving him, right? But I really don't feel like he ever sat down and had a conversation with himself about like you know the fact that maybe he was too too easygoing or too lovable or or whatever. That's just who he was. Yeah. What about David Spade in here? What did you guys oh, think of before, David Spade? Before we yeah. move on to David Spade, I want to say one of my favorite parts of Chris Farley in this movie uh, is when it's the day after uh, he's he made like a move on Connie and like she rejected his advances. Mm-hmm. And he was a little too aggressive, and he he yells at at Beldar across the golf course. Yeah, and he was like, he's like, "Hey, Mister Conan, I hope you didn't cut your hand when you tore up on the roof of my car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine." <laughs> it was one of my favorite lines of the whole film. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I laughed so hard at that so yeah let's move on to david spade again early on in his career uh the sniveling kind of david spade type of character that he made so well there yeah what did you guys think of his role i mean he's it's perfectly it's david perfect, spade. but i couldn't help but think that's dick clark's receptionist role and which came first in snl uh, he plays dick clark's re- receptionist i'm actually not familiar with this so so people come in is and it they dick p- clark's or they want to they want to Pitch Dick Clark something, and he's sitting there. Mm, I'll take that. Oh, that's what that character is. Okay, yes. yeah, I and, didn't know it was Dick Clark, but yeah, yeah. I know and the receptionist. So, role. so the receptionist role is something he originated on SNL. I want to know had David Spade been on SNL for a while before he did Coneheads? Uh, yeah, three years. So he had definitely played that part already because Probably, yeah. this is that character. I don't know because David Spade for the first two years of on the show didn't do a ton. So this is not what... Look I, up look up and see I, when I the receptionist yeah, sketch started. Because this is that character so either the impetus for he, that character was 1991, here. 1991. So, okay, yeah. so, so he took that character from SNL and said, yeah. ooh, I'll just do that. But Or, may, or maybe they just they said, hey, we want you this kind yeah. of character yeah. here. Yeah, Because yeah. it works. Obviously. Oh, absolutely. It's perfect for that. There were shades of some of the things he did there that he did in Tommy Boy too. Sure. I mean, like sure. there's he, he yeah. has a very it's it's just David Spade's yeah. like what he does. That's very his well. wheelhouse yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit smarmy, whole, a little bit of a weasel. Yeah, no, he's he's in a bad mood. Yeah. I'll take that from you. Yeah. I think I found something, sir. Yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> and again, the the person he took it from is within earshot. Yeah. Right? It's just oh yeah, I'm just gonna do this for you. Oh man. Yeah, yeah he's perfect. Yeah. One of the things that I, I was talking to these guys off the podcast about yesterday that I found, or maybe earlier today that I found really interesting was and I, I i had not i did not find anything that that contradicted this is michael mckeon i believe is the only cast member that hosted before he was a cast member and that michael mckeon was on the show just blows me away he had a an established career yeah and came on the show. I want to know more about that for a couple seasons. Yeah. Like, was he just like, I want to try something different? And these days, you wouldn't see somebody like, let's say, Ke- yeah, well, it's not like Michael McKean was like as big as Kevin Hart is now or something like that, but like somebody that, that had already had a movie or two under their belt and then became an SLL cast member. It just doesn't happen that way anymore. No, for sure. So, so when was Mike McKean a cast member on the show? He did 25 episodes between 94 and 95. Wow, I didn't even realize it was that late. But yeah, so he'd already done this is Spinal Tap. That's and like what he was other, hosting other, for. Yeah, is, other Christopher Guest stuff. So yeah, yeah. And, and then he did Coneheads. Yeah, 
and then became a cast member. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Isn't that's that crazy? I that's what I'm saying. It's just really, and then Airheads after this. Uh, but like, I guess actually, oh no. Well, so the the, the only thing that maybe is comparable that I'm thinking of, even though it's not the same thing at all, is Chris Red doing Pop Star before sure. being a yeah. cast member on SNL. But, yeah, but yeah. Host, would it have had to host? Yeah, exactly. You know? that, uh, that's the one that gets me even more is he had hosted because yeah, that's wild. this so, is Spinal Tap. It was such a big film. I don't and know he anything. And he hosted by himself? By himself. That's crazy. And I, so I have no, no, obviously don't know anything about the man and, and why he made this choice. But this this seems to be, if you host SNL from, from Zest's Spinal Tap and you do obviously love comedy and then you do a movie like Coneheads with 14 people that have been, 13 people that have been on SNL. Yeah. You just start to see the vibe, and you really like it. Yeah, maybe. And you're like, man, I really want to do that. Yeah. You know? say, uh, on on the Wikipedia, it says having a, already appeared as a musical guest and then host of Saturday Night Live, McKeon joined the cast from '94 to '95. At the age of 46, he was Wild. the oldest person ever to join the SNL cast at the time. Later Until surpassed Leslie by Jones. Leslie, Leslie yeah. joined, Jones, who joined in 2014 at age 47. One of a handful of SNL cast members who weren't already hired to work behind the scenes, like SNL's numerous writers turned cast members, to appear on the show before becoming a cast member, and the only one to be a musical guest and a host before becoming a cast member. That's wild. I want to know more about that yeah. for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if it's because I'll call him. Michael w- Michael McKeon's obviously not uh, like a household name. Like I, he's like, a guy that my mom sees him and goes, "Oh, oh I know, I, I know him." Yeah. But and at the time, probably even in the nineties, yeah, le- maybe even less so. And yeah. So and so maybe it's one of those things where it's a steady job. My mom's know, like, "Oh, I love big bottoms." He he's not a leading comedy guy, so he takes something that is recognizable at a time that is very much very popular. And <laughs> and I can also see him being friends with Lauren Michaels, sure. right? And oh Lauren yeah, saying, for sure. Hey, what do you what do you got planned for the next year? I Come mean, on Chris, the show. Right? Chris Guest was you know directing shorts at SNL, you know during those times. So you know, like, yeah, I, maybe Chris Guest said, "You got to do this." Just, I, just I have hope. It. All this, right? Like in the best of things, I want to see. Like he just fell in love with the show and wanted to be a part of it. I feel yeah. like though, what's interesting about this to me is there's few mysteries left for me about Saturday Night Live <laughs> because we've 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 academically looked at it yeah. so much. This is an unanswered question that which makes me excited because I don't know that much yeah. about it. I'll call him, guys. I'll, I'll give. I'll give. Please him all, do. I'll yeah, get, get back to us. Let's see what's going he on. He didn't answer. <laughs> or you just called. I did just call him right now. Favorite part about the film? What is it? Is it the story? Is it the performances by the main cast members? I think that the it's the fish out of water stuff works so well, and I remember l- laughing out loud. Like even the even the dumb gags really worked for me. Like the way that Beldar offers Sinbad a condom to chew, <laughs> yeah, and and Sinbad's or organic reaction. Oh no, I'm I'm all right. <laughs> like no, actually, you know what? Better, better not. I gotta drive. So. <laughs> exactly. It's just like weird shit like that. It's it's not just the premise, but it's 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 the writing of, of the the like. That's just really funny. Yeah. You know, uh, even going to the dentist and he's got nine rows of teeth or whatever. Yeah. And it, but again, it yeah, wasn't was like great. John Lovitz was Lovitz's so good. character in that. didn't freak out, right? He exactly. Just, yeah. He just like okay, well, we gotta I, get in here. And I thought they try and figure out how to fit the mask yeah. on his mouth. <laughs> that was such a great bit. Yeah. Like, he just kind of all that kind of delicately stuff. puts it in his. Yeah. Just right in his open mouth you know it's just all of it works let me look in 1993 because i was interested to see what if, were the five movies that yeah like what was it that, okay a so, league of their own well hold on what tell me the month that it came out Ooh. oh i don't, I don't the, the release date really for coneheads oh, oh the release date yeah Tell me when coneheads came july out. 23rd it came oh, out summer movie wow okay so, so yeah. i'm going to tell you the top 10 grossing films of 1993 and it'll give you a clue of kind of where it's at in the 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 film history 
Number one film of 1993, Jurassic Park. Number two, Mrs. Miss Doubtfire. Yep. Uh, number three, The Fugitive. Number four, Schindler's List. Yeah. Number five, The Firm. Number six, Indecent Proposal. Number seven, Ben, you're going to love this one, Cliffhanger. I bet you love that one. Did love you? Wow, seven? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Cliffhanger made $255 million. Holy shit. It's huge. Uh, Sleep of this in Seattle was number eight. Philadelphia, number nine. And then The Pelican Brief made almost $200 million. That's crazy to me that the Pelican You know what's crazy, too, is that like half of those movies wouldn't be in the top 10 today. Not even a little yeah, bit. Yeah, not even they close. Even, yeah, I was going to say. Indecent Proposal? A, no fucking way. A movie way. like The Pelican Brief right now? Yeah. Huh. It's, an, no. it's an indie film, right? <laughs> or, I'm sorry, but Philadelphia? Yeah, it's an Oscar winner. But Oscar winners these days don't produce yeah. $200 million at the box That's office. wild. That's wild. So those that, those are the competition, right? Those yeah. And Coneheads did not do so what well. So what are the... What are, the do you, are you able to see the five movies that were above Coneheads at the box office in July of the year? I'm betting Jurassic Park was probably still one of them, a holdover. Ooh, let me look real quick. If you go, uh, I bet you if you go to Box Office Mojo, you can see like the week-by-week week breakdown or... Or even the numbers.com probably has it. So the films, um, July 23rd through 25th, 1993, the best films at the box office that produced the most money anyway. Number one, Poetic Justice. Wow. Was that Janet Jackson? Yeah, and Tupac. Tupac. Number two, In the Line of Fire did 11. Ooh, both of did 11. Malkovich. Number three, The Firm did 10 million. Tom Cruise. Number four, <laughs> number four, Free Willy did uh, oh, eight and a half million. Michael Jackson. <laughs> and in its seventh week, Jurassic Park did eight million. Yeah, see. Uh, and then number six, Coneheads did seven, followed by Sleepless in Seattle. In his fifth week, did six. Wow. Um, so barely buried. Beat Sleepless in Seattle. Buried. And Hocus buried. Pocus was in its second week and it did uh, five and a half. Yeah. Hocus Pocus bombed. So, uh, yeah. So obviously didn't do very well. But uh, so uh, let's, we haven't done this. Read the rest of the, all the people from SNL who are in Coneheads. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is a who's it who. Is, yeah. yeah. So obviously start with uh, Dan Aykroyd, then Jane Curtin, uh, Michael McKeon, David Spade. Chris Farley, uh, Phil Hartman, Adam Sandler, uh, Lorraine Newman, Garrett Morris, Kevin Nealon, Jan Hooks, Julia Sweeney, Tim Meadows. Uh, we'll, we'll put an asterisk by this, but Tom Davis uh, was the condemned conehead number two. Uh, Peter Aykroyd, who was on SNL for a short season. John Lovitz. And then I read, I believe... Ellen Cleghorn had a scene that was cut out. You know who else had a scene that was cut out? Who? Conan O'Brien. Yes. Yep. He talked about it on a- Conehead O'Brien? One of his- Fucking dumbass. Hey. Uh, Yeah, he talked about it on uh, an episode of the podcast when they were talking about uh, when they had Tom Davis on the show. He was- uh, Lorne Michaels uh, wanted to talk to him about late night TV stuff, and he said, oh, just come over to Paramount, and uh, we'll talk about it there. And he had- He's like, you know, while you're here, you might as well just put on- one of these cones and uh, be a he, he had to be like be in a background scene, but like you can't even see him like in the, in the, the movie and like so, so it, yeah it just was there and so it was terrible. It's, so what's funny is if you watch uh, it's the third act and it's when they go back to Remulac and he has to narfle the Garthuk. Um, <laughs> if you look in some of the crowd scenes, you can see how simple they did some of the cone prosthetic stuff because if you pause some of the crowd scenes, the ones who are further away, they did the most basic 
like basically cone head and mask no actual thing where you can see their real face it's just these like dead-eyed masks where they're all just like looking like this and it's it's kind of creepy actually <laughs> what, what do you think about this tom davis uh i read did not love that they went back to their home planet he wanted the home planet essentially to come to earth and everything to happen in new jersey you know he didn't like that it was there was this like you know big battle kind of scene the the, the I don't know if it's claymation, whatever they did. Yeah, for that. It's like, not, yeah, stop motion. It actually looks pretty good. Um, what do you think? Should it all happened on Earth? Do you think that took away from the movie? Do you think the stop stop motion looked too cheesy? What do you think? I like the stop motion animation. I think it it adds a little bit of like uh, I don't know tangibility to and, and like a, a cool factor to that kind of thing. Going back to Remulac, it doesn't feel I think as immersive as it should. It doesn't make it feel like a like an alien planet that you know would feel like home and yeah. i think that and that was one of tom davis's uh things too is that like they didn't he didn't like making remulac feel like this like gladiator-esque kind yeah. of place you beldar know? had been longing to go back there yeah right? exactly and, and this it, doesn't look like, like somewhere that's we where back. beldar wants yeah. to go back yeah to? and it because it, it, initially like tom davis he had said that he wanted to, it to feel like kind of like a space suburb like that's what it was supposed to feel like you know and it just, it just didn't but uh, it is. It does feel strange to have this kind of sequence be the ending of the movie. But I guess you, if you're making a movie, you kind sure. of need to have something like that. What is another thing interesting about this? If you look um, at the end after he's defeated the monster, um, all of a sudden uh, Beldar has blue blood on his face and cone and stuff like yep. that. But he, there's no moment when it happens. If you watch closely, there's a shot when he's standing in front of the leader with the throne. You can see the decapitated head of the Garthok and there was a deleted scene where he cut off the head of the creature and that's how he killed it. But they were like, eh, this is a little too much, so we need to <laughs> really pull PG. that back. Yeah, I just thought that scene for me cut away from where the film was taking us. Yeah. It, like, it just it, felt... It, it did jar it a bit. Like, it I, didn't I would have feel necessary. Preferred. You needed that that conflict. I You need the conflict. I just felt it could have happened on Earth and probably and they also been had, a little more they continual. They had the, the, yeah. the INS villain side of things, and so then you bring the other villain-ish, you know, homeworld villain to Earth as well, and you, you make a big standoff there. I think that could have been... Probably done wonders for the budget as well. Uh, they probably could have done maybe more uh, with Earth then. Yeah. Because I'm sure that wasn't cheap to shoot all that. No, probably not. Yeah. So the nice thing about uh, Coneheads, if you want to watch it, if you're you're just kind of listening along with us and haven't and watched should. it in a while. It's, it's well worth a watch. Uh, you can watch it on Paramount Plus if you don't have it. If you have not watched it in a while, rewatch it. One thing uh, we didn't talk about, um, and I'm sure, obviously, I, I haven't seen the sketches in a while, the fact that uh, Beldar uh, and all the Coneheads, they, they consume mass quantities, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, when he smokes cigarettes... Yeah, he smokes the whole pack yeah. at once, yeah. and then when he just the subtle things, he comes home from work. He's got uh, six containers of coffee, six big yeah. thermoses of coffee that he puts down. Just clever things Actually, like that. One of the funniest things that made me laugh in this was when Michael McKeon and David Spade come to their house, and she puts all of the Pepsi's. That wasn't even the funny. It was the incredibly ridiculous mound of chips. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being a kid and watching when they eat uh, breakfast and being like, oh, my God, I would love to have that many waffles and Pop-Tarts. <laughs> so, was, like, awesome. I, I don't know if I fully got, like, that gag that they did there, I don't know if I got it fully 
um, the ridiculousness when I was a kid. Right, the portions and yeah, everything. Yeah, but were... it, it hit me this time. I just thought, this is just so silly and dumb. I hope you didn't hurt your hand when you ripped my car. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, I love, uh, we were, Ben and I were talking about this earlier when we were uh, hanging out today. Oh, uh, fun. Uh, I had to get right home from the he airport. He picked me up from the yeah, airport. It's, yeah, it's he, another, he, he used me for transportation. I asked you to first, and you were like, oh, I'm with my kids. <laughs> oh, Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to give out communion waivers. Oh. Um, but I uh, I love Adam Sandler's scene the way he oh my talks God, yeah. like delivering the information. Donald R. D. Chico. <laughs> Is that what, what did he say? Harvard Hobart Hobart Ho- Hobart College Hobart. Say this college. 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 I put, put them all together. together. Hobart College. Yeah, look at yeah, it. The man's a wizard. <laughs> hey, my, my cousin goes there. Uh, oh, Adam so, Sandler's scene was great. That was let, just a let, really let, fun scene. Let's do our ranking then. So, where do you put this in the three that we've watched? Mm-hmm. Where do you put this? Uh, how do you rank those three? It might be sacrilegious, uh, but to put it above Blues Brothers. Yeah, uh, but it's it's I I've always liked this movie more than Blues Brothers. Um, it's I just think it's more accessible. You know, I I think there's a lot to admire about Blues Brothers, uh, but Blues Brothers is more of I think a, a cult favorite than anything. And honestly, Cohen has probably is too at this point. Um, Wayne's World's still way out in front. Oh yeah, it's a great Wayne's movie. World will always be be top um, notch. I, I'm surprised at, at what if you would ask me before this, yep. I would have been like, there's no way it takes over. I told you guys, I, told I didn't you expect guys. it like this as much as I did on the second. I watch. told you it was so good. I, I really, really like Blues Brothers, so I think that Blues Brothers is still a little ahead of, of Coneheads for me, but barely. I mean, honestly. I'm going with Brad, not because I don't like Blues Brothers. Uh, it just, this is the silliness that I wanted in an SNL film. Blues Brothers almost, at times, just drags for me. It does. Um, it's a lot of the musicality of it. Yep. You know, it, it really does take a while to do all that. It, it feels more like a an actual film at yeah. times. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Oh, one um, of my other favorite parts that's just a, it's such a fun little bit is when uh, Jane Curtin is in the grocery store and she sees the eggplants and she just screams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, and then like, she picks ah. it up. <laughs> Her Actually, laugh is fantastic. I think Jane Curtin is better in that role than Dan Aykroyd is. What's interesting is uh, Beldar like, had mu- a more of an evolution from the sketch to the movie because if you go back and you listen to the sketch and especially if you listen to his voice in the animated series he does much more of a nasally uh, version of Beldar makes it sound a lot weirder whereas in the movie he sounds a lot more just like Dan Aykroyd doing yeah. like a weird monotone voice. Um, there was similar to the screaming bit from the grocery store in the Family Feud sketch there's actually a pretty great ongoing thing where whenever they do the buzzer, when you miss a thing, and it goes, eh, they all go, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go back and watch that. Yeah. All right. Our next film is Wayne's World 2. Woo! Party Part time! Do. Excellent! Party do. No, it's just Wayne's World 2. Party do. No, no it's not <laughs> hot shots. Party do. Uh, let me see. If, is Wayne's World If you're going to do, doing this. Uh, it's from the first movie. Get it? Because it's a little cup. You Party Doo is my least favorite Scooby Doo character. Oh, he's my favorite. I bet he is. He goes. So ah, I'm a partier. We're gonna we're gonna watch Wayne's World in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're, we try Wayne's to get this out two. Yeah, sorry, Wayne's World two, uh, with Christopher Walken. Uh, but it is on Max. If you have Max, you can watch it. Uh, Which would be HBO. It's Max it's, now. It's Max. And really, you should buy it. Oh my God! Here we go. You man. have to buy movies. We just had this conversation. Yeah, and, and, and I'm you know still to either one just of as right then as I am now. You should buy movies, support them, and love them, and nurture them as if they were on our own. Well, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Or before it, you know, goes down this rabbit hole again. Please like us on Facebook, on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it. Brad won't let me call it X. He says it's still Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and you can find us on there. You can also go to the 10 to one pod.com rate us, help us out there, share the podcast, just retweet it on Twitter. And, and or you know what? If you are if, if somebody that you know, like maybe a dad or an, an uncle or a grandfather worked on Coneheads and just would like to tell us a story about uh, being on the show, you know, just shoot us a message. Let us know something about Coneheads we don't know. Michael McKean, uh, yeah. contact us. Uh, <laughs> Let us know why the, why you decided to ask some questions. I would love to interview you. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thanks so much for listening, Brad. Where can people find you? Uh, always on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton and Zitternum, where you oh. repost things. Also, uh, slashfilm.com is where I write and edit about movies and TV shows. You can always check that out and uh, check out my junk on Instagram. Okay, easy. Always post about new foods over there. Oh, snacks there and go. stuff. Look at Brad's junk on Instagram. And Ben and I are on on social. We're still, we're, we're places. Um, you can also listen to our other podcasts. Go flicks yourself. Go to goflixyourselfpod.com or just wherever podcasts are found. You'll find us there as well. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully, we'll get to uh, some more Saturday Night Live stuff in the next couple months. But we will be back in two weeks with uh, Wayne's World too. Uh, we hope you come back and again uh, be a part of this and as we go. Drop a line in the comments on Facebook uh, where we post the, the episode. Uh, what, what was your favorite part about Coneheads? Uh, if you watched it recently with us because we were watching it, uh, something maybe that you, you forgot about, that you liked a lot about it, uh, or your favorite quote. We'd love to see it. And smash that subscribe oh button. Oh, my God. Oh, be good hit it hard. No. <laughs> be good to yourself. Be good to others. Bye-bye. <laughs>